Welcome to the Sound Lens Podcast. I'm Louise Fagan. And I'm Jillian Wise. And today our guest is Amika Cooper, also known as Black Power Barbie. Amika is an illustrator, animator, and director from Toronto, currently based in New York City. From collaborations with brands like Apple, Nike, and creating content for the Roots frontman Black Thought, to directing Hershey's Herfishy campaign photoshoot, Amika's distinct style of 2D animation centers Black, femme, and queer experiences. Welcome, Amika. Hi. We're really excited to meet you and to have you here. So when we were prepping, you know, for this conversation with you, I was scrolling back through your photos on Instagram and just kind of seeing what you've been up to over the years. And you posted a photo of yourself as a four-year-old on Instagram. I think you were four in the picture photo, kind yeah, of, or like, a, you know, like the school photos that you get. And it really yeah. kind of gave us this glimpse of Amika as a child and this like grin on her face and wearing this cute little outfit and I'm just it made me really curious to kind of know a bit more about her and so can you describe yourself as a four-year-old or as a young kid? Oh wow I actually love this question so much. What was I like when I was a kid? I was there were like two very distinct sides to me like I had a young mom she had me when she was 22 she like immigrated from Trinidad when she was 17 to New York where I was born and then around the time that I was four we had found a way to settle in Canada but that being said it was honestly just like her and I so when I was very young I just remember being really like quiet like really to myself I honestly didn't get into very much trouble and I spent a lot of time on my own you know as a child of a single mom who was busy and she did a lot to keep me occupied and expose me to things but I had a lot of solo time to just like draw and read and like watch tv (laughs) so I think I had I was very sensitive in that way and at that time I think Art was definitely my escape. That was like the first time or first like part of my life that I remember really enjoying like storytelling and being compelled to tell my own. Like I would spend an afternoon making my own picture book and stuff. (laughs) And then like, I don't know, watching The Lion King after my nap. So just kind of that was like that was definitely the era where I was getting entrenched in like making my own art and also being exposed to and falling in love with animation. So when you think back about those times and you said The Lion King, I (laughs) loved that time. I was raising Jillian at the same time and I can definitely remember all of those, the Disney and that's really when animation was really becoming more mainstream, you know, and that those big movies were really becoming mega hits, unlike probably in my generation. But was there an influence on you as a child? Were there people around you who were also supporting your creative work? Honestly, I would say not not direct because I don't think that's something that a lot of people, at least like in the environments that I was a part of, like my mom being West Indian, like no one's ever really thinking about cultivating like your child's artistic mind or something like that. And I think at school, like that was still kind of, I mean, I was, I was young. I was grade one, two, three. Art was kind of just an extra thing but I would say maybe like my other classmates like I remember just like being in class with other kids and seeing kind of like their creativity and like how well they drew and like that was like the thing that I gravitated towards a lot so I think like some of me and like the closer friends that I made that time like art was our way of connecting with each other like what did you draw for like our assignment
Simon on the rainbow fish. <laughs> <laughs> Like, oh, you drew that? Like, I want to draw. Like, how did you get it to look sparkly like that? Those were some of, like, my fondest moments and also memories that I have of a consciousness of, like, oh, like, I want to be good Mm. at this. Yeah, that's really interesting. And, you know, that you were focusing, like you said, I think you you just said you were making a storybook or focusing a lot on storytelling. If I think about myself when I was a kid and I was, like, you know, making stuff at home because I was bored in the afternoon, I remember I had this like Ziploc bag of pencil crayon shavings of, you know, when I was like sharpening them and then I would glue them to paper and make stuff. But I was very focused on the uh, tactile part of it. And it's interesting to me that you were focused on like the storytelling part of it. I'm wondering where that comes from or what kind of story you were hoping to tell at that time. Honestly, I can't even, I think, because I'm not going to say that I remember exactly Mm -hmm. what I was writing about is probably some sort of regurgitation of like a princess story but I really connected to stories like Cinderella or like I was definitely dealing with my own loneliness just not being around a lot of other kids outside of school and like really spending a lot of time by myself because my mom also didn't have friends that had kids my Mm -hmm. age so I was either if we were spending time with them it'd be like I'd see kids at church Mm -hmm. or I'd see kids at school but I wasn't in the playground at our apartment complex and I went to daycare but it was like when I was at home Mm -hmm. I was like really just like me so I think with all of that time I would I think stories of kind of like loneliness or trying to like break free and find some semblance of independence or connection like really resonated with me and I think that even kind of connects to just I like stories in general even to this day that kind of offer up a representation or a perspective of people who are on the fringes and like probably don't have the kind of like hero trajectory that that we're used to seeing. We, we're going to get into that a little bit more because that's, <laughs> but before we do, I'm curious to know when did the identity of Black Power Barbie start to form? I love when people ask me that because I know that it kind of like seems like this is such a bold name and statement but the way I came up with it wasn't I I didn't have like a very specific forethought it was an Instagram Mm -hmm. handle and this is like before I started even sharing my art online and I was honestly just barely kind of getting into being on Instagram as a regular user and I just remember at the time where I kind of had oh I know like what my app will be or what I'll change it to and I wanted it to be something that I think was playful, spoke to my politic, and I think also reflected the parts of my personality that I really like, which is I think that I'm like spunky. And, you know, I know kind of how I come across is like, she's like this cutesy, like little black girl, (laughs) you know? So it's kind of just like, and I think I was 24 or 25 when I started using it. And this wasn't supposed to be an artist moniker. So the essence of it really was just like a young millennial woman trying to kind of craft an alter ego that was fun and like spoke to her. And then over time, as like my perspective deepened and I started sharing my work and I like developed a voice, I think the connection between the kinds of things that I make and what it means to share them under a name like Black Power Barbie just very like organically coalesced. So it wasn't like, oh, man, I want to be an artist. Like, what should I call myself? Like, what's going to be provocative? I was like, no, my friends know that I I love talking about liberation and politics and equality and inclusivity. And, you know, I'm very like black power. And then 
at the same time, there is this kind of like fun element to me and that's what I want to be on Instagram. And then it turned into this whole Mm -hmm. thing that I think has become important to how I show up as an artist. Do you feel like it's given you permission almost to lean into this other side of your personality that maybe people don't see right away that you're used to kind of this assumption that people have of you that this kind of allows you to lean into a different side? Yeah, for sure. And I think that's also part of why I'm so adamant about my clients crediting me correctly, because I think it's like very easy to just go... Like, I think sometimes people try to just, like, blow it off as, like, a handle. And it's safer to be like, oh, like, the artist, Amika Cooper. And I'm like, no, there's a distinct difference between who I am in real life and the kind of voice that I'm cultivating through this work. And, like, Amika is the civilian who has, like, social anxiety. (laughs) You know what I mean? And is obviously just much more nuanced. And I think it's important to protect that. And I like to be able to speak through this other voice which is a legitimate part of my consciousness, but also can be more unabashed and public facing, especially because with social media, when you're sharing any part of your life, and especially when the things that you're sharing are tied to your livelihood, there's like a level of exposure. And it's important for me to be able to be like, okay, Amika is the person taking like a mental health nap. And then like Black Power Barbie is the person who's approaching the public with this perspective that she believes in. You know, we came into your your work when you were already, for us, a fully formed Black Power Barbie. And when we first saw your work, and we're looking you up and, and your that handle is incredibly appealing to women. It's incredibly affirming. And I don't know if that was your intention as well, that there is a response and, that we get, like as someone who is looking at your work, when we see your work already stands alone, but then when we see the Black Power Barbie, it's just, I guess affirming is, is the best word, but very appealing. And we see there's a humor in there. There's a lovely twist, but it's also very strong and kind of straight on. And it just really did make us want to dig in more to who you are. I love that. Yeah. And that's kind of, that's been fun. I, I like when people ask me about it and I, and I like hearing how people feel about it. I definitely wanted it to be something affirming. When I decided that that's, that's how I wanted to carry my art, I wanted like all different kinds of people to find an affirmation and kind of just like breaking away from convention and the status quo. I wanted, if someone felt offended by it, to be able to confront what's so offensive about it <laughs> to you. You know what I mean? And like, I think that there I don't know if you guys saw the the Barbie movie, but just like having all those different kinds of Barbies, like I think that I want other people to be like, okay, well, like what's my affirming inclusive version of being like a Barbie? How am I breaking away from the status quo? So I like that you enjoy it because it should be exciting to think about breaking the mold as like individuals. We actually first came across your work on the Her For She campaign, and we interviewed Kalicia Masala. And when we were doing our research on oh, her, yes. who was one of the women featured, and we were looking at that video, and 
we fell in love with what you did. We were looking at the, it was like the behind the scenes video that you did for the, that, that was happening for the campaign. And we absolutely fell in love with what we were seeing. But we asked her, we said, you know, there's something extraordinary happening in that room. What, what's like, what was happening? And she said, that was all our director, Amika Cooper. She did all of that. <laughs> and Jillian and I have both worked in production and have a background in producing. And we know that what you get in the room, if you don't get it, it doesn't matter what kind of bells and whistles you try to put on in post-production or in the, you know, that you, you can't, you can't mimic that feeling. You have uh, pixie dust. And so we're just <laughs> curious about that atmosphere that you create. What What is happening there for you with your subjects or the projects in general? That's such a nice and like kind thing to say. Funny enough, Khaleesi and I have the same birthday. <laughs> That's so funny. What, can we ask what it is? We just found out. Oh, September 18th. Amazing. Yeah, which is such a like strange coincidence. Uh, but um, I don't know. I feel like when I kind of got my start in production, I think, you know, it's like this white male, white straight male dominated space and it can be really toxic there can be like this environment of fear of like no one wants to do the wrong thing mm -hmm. no one wants to say the wrong thing or like step out of line because you know there's some guy that's going to be really unkind to you and because they're in charge or at the at the helm of this production there isn't like a, a level of safety in being able to challenge that so for me you know now that I have like the privilege honestly of getting to take up spaces that way I try my best to rectify like those kinds of dynamics I really do want people to feel comfortable I don't want people to feel like they have to tiptoe around me or like I don't want special treatment or anything like that I just want it to feel fun and safe and also with people who aren't performers like it just takes so much to like put yourself out there and have a room full of like ad execs and like crew like staring at you prance around a, a stage in front of a camera so I just want people to feel good you know and and I think it's important to take the time to cultivate that because um, there is also that sense of urgency when you're on set of like you have to get through all these things and it's like well, you know, we also have to find like the warmth and like the comfort in this room so that we can make it from a place of ease. I think that like when you kind of make things that feel like you were saying, like if you don't really get it in the room, you can't fake it. And even with my visual art, like if I feel like I'm in a bad place when I'm creating it, I'm always going to kind of see that energy mm -hmm. on it. So I try to be very cognizant of that when I'm making anything. I mean, you can tell like it really comes across in I mean that campaign specifically is one that's you know we're referencing but just how naturally confident everyone is in those the videos and the photos and it's that atmosphere that you're creating like it has a huge impact and like you said these aren't necessarily individuals who are often on sets and in photo shoots you know they have their stories that they're you're telling through these campaigns and it's it just draws you in and it, it I mean it made us so curious about the campaign and about you and about these individuals and I think about when the other campaigns or projects that you've been a part of and brands that you've worked with like Nike and you know you were talking earlier about this Black Power Barbie and how you approach different projects and I'm wondering kind of what do you take into account when you decide to accept certain projects or work with certain brands? I honestly I love like this story telling element and I love being approached 
to be like a voice of representation or culture. And this kind of goes back to when you asked me earlier about my name and stuff like that. The more I get to work, the more, and I think the more that identity gets cultivated, the more I'm brought projects that like just really align with all of that. So I haven't had, I'm not gonna lie, there have been times where I'm like working on something and I'm like, why? I don't know anything about this. Like, why am I working on it? Like, it really is just like a job and I'll draw it or whatever. But I would say like 85% of the time, like when I'm being approached, it's something that like really connects with me. And I'm like, yes, like I'm, I'm so glad that you thought of me to like create portraits of these people or to represent this community, whether it's like the black community or women as a, as a whole or queer people or anything like that. So I love to have like that element of like, is this, is this meaningful? You know, is this something that I would have wanted to, to draw on my own? That's kind of the way that I, that I consider it. I have to like enjoy it and be inspired by the story behind it to like sustain, I think, my motivation to create my best work. Mm -hmm. The stuff that like, the stuff in my portfolio, actually it wouldn't be in my portfolio, but the stuff that I've done that I'm just like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> like there isn't that element of like imagination or playfulness. I'm like, I, I don't even, I wasn't excited when I made that. I just really needed to pay my right. rent. Right. <laughs> You know, and that that is the I guess always the struggle of the creative entrepreneur, right? Is you know you do have to pay your bills, but you still yeah. show up as you. I mean, there you know, regardless of how engaged you are, you still have your toolkit and talent that that you draw on, and and um, while you may feel you know maybe not always a hundred percent connected or inspired by the project your work never shows that you know it's really a, because you are you are such a talent and so many different things Jillian and I in our conversations with our guests often this topic comes back and, I, and it's interesting at some point we'll probably have to do our own deep dive to look back into why this is but it feels like with you and you did say the word identity feels like identity does connect a lot of your work. Would you say that's true? Or would you say there is a, a through line of some sort? For sure, I think so. And a lot of my work, I think, is like character based. So it's, it's like a very kind of like natural way to like articulate those feelings since I'm drawing people. I love people. <laughs> I think it's really important to how do I phrase this? There's kind of like this, this sentiment that we focus too much on identity. And I think it's really easy to say that when you're coming from a place where you've never had to consider that you weren't being mm -hmm. represented. And for me, growing up, there was a lot of things that I enjoyed, but I wouldn't have had an opportunity to to see anything like that that was like tailored to me. Like even I don't think people even consider like if a child of color is like drawing people, like are they drawing people that look like them? Mm -hmm. Or like are we kind of just assuming that whiteness is the status quo? I'll never forget I had a coworker one time at a bookstore, a children's bookstore, and it was Christmas time and we were selling elves on the shelves like crazy and they would have different skin tones. And he comes up to me and he's like, do we have any normal ones? Oh, gee. oh boy. And oh, yeah. do you know what I mean? And like that, that little story is kind of like a, like a small example of identity is important because people don't even realize that unconsciously they don't even see themselves as normal or that other people don't even see them as normal and what kind of weight that holds. So 
while we're sharing and creating content that really does shape our collective consciousness, I wanted to be able to say that like what I was offering was a chance for other people who don't see themselves to feel seen and to be able to humanize those experiences for themselves because it's very easy to feel like you're an anomaly or mm-hmm. there's something wrong with yeah. you. <laughs> Would you say that that's part of what drives the work that you do personally? Yeah, for sure. Like I, a lot of my work in the beginning, like I would say it was just very therapeutic for me. I think some of the experiences that I can look back on, like early when I started sharing my work that helped motivate me or encouraged me, I should say, is people hitting me up and saying like, wow, I feel the same way or like seeing this drawing, you know, like really resonated with me and like, and and helped me feel seen in my own experience. Like I was dealing a lot with black feminine people specifically dealing with feelings of like tenderness and vulnerability and like mental health and kind of being misinterpreted. I think we've all like been familiarized with the trope of like the angry black women, but so many of the women that I know that people would call angry and even how people have tried to characterize me before, I'm like, that's not anger, it's sadness. That's not anger. It's like very like righteous rage that's not anger that's like that's clinical depression (laughs) and where do we have those spaces to like be soft it's like either we're angry or we're strong and I'm like I really want it I'm jokingly say like I want to create a safe space for very weak black women (laughs) like very soft and like I'm not here to be strong I'm not here to like carry my community on my back I'm just here to just be a human and that's okay like my tears are valid and being the strongest person in the room isn't a badge of honor if you're suffering so that was kind of like the impetus for the way that I was sharing and creating I really just needed it for my own sanity and then when I saw that it was important to other people I felt encouraged to continue that voice and it's kind of snowballed and encapsulated other parts of the human experience for me and I honestly want to get back to doing more of that I haven't been able to do enough of it recently I wonder, you know, as I said earlier, Jillian and I both have worked as producers and we know the burden that that is in a room, as you described earlier, you know, when, so you, you still have a project that you have to get completed. You still have, as you said, you have to be on time. You do it. And yet you are also the conduit for the feelings and experiences of each of the people in the room who you're trying to get something from. And at the same time, Avicii is so beautifully said, there are all these other social, cultural, historical realities happening at the same time. So how do you, as Amika Cooper, protect yourself or recover? Or what do you do to look after yourself in all of that? Sleep. (laughs) (laughs) No, honestly, like, because I even with like the her for she shoot, I do get nervous about the amount of bandwidth that I have available and in times like that like people who are a part of my day-to-day life know that I kind of do have to shut down sometimes you have to remove yourself and kind of say because I'm in I'm really an introvert like my battery isn't recharged by being around people like I'm really recharged by my solo time so being able to like recognize that and also to just I think in the past couple years specifically I've learned that when it comes to my art and the way that it's commercialized or just engages with capitalism in general Mm -hmm. and the way I have to be mindful of that when I'm on a Zoom call or working with a team of people is that I don't have to offer up like every precious thought that I have or feeling. Yes. 
being cognizant of like the the hills that you want to die on are very important where it's like, okay, cool. Like when it comes to this thing, being clear from the onset, when I decide to do something, what I'm willing to offer to this project. I always want to be like honest and constructive and stuff like that. But at the same time, it's just like, well, maybe there are certain ideas that I have that will be better for a personal project. And instead of treating everything like it's like my most precious baby, it's like, you know what? If I can just save this for a truly safe space, then I can focus on just being constructive here and not getting so like, like anxiously attached <laughs> to like the forces that de demand you to like grind through things and don't care about like the tenderness of your ideas. Yeah, it's really interesting thinking about, you know, the motivators of the work that you create personally in terms of rep representation that you were talking about earlier. And then while also trying to blend that with the more corporate work that you do. And I think, you know, you're describing that a little bit of how to find that balance. But how would you say then that you find creative satisfaction then when you do corporate work? Or how are you able to bring kind of your own values, I guess, to this work that you do that's maybe being driven by someone else? I think that is totally up to my clients. <laughs> I think that not when I say totally up to them, obviously there's, there's my agency involved in it, like my personal agency. But when I think of like a project that I did with Apple earlier this year, where like they're this huge company and I did this Black History Month campaign for them that they used I did three illustrations that they used across their platforms to kind of house their Black History initiatives or whatever the case was. And that team was so supportive and they gave me like basically full creative control. There wasn't very much resistance to anything that I did. I sent through the sketches and they gave me very minimal notes. They were like, cool, fantastic. We love it. You know, they show that they cared through being able to respect my artistic voice and then also compensate me for for doing that. So that's why I say it's kind of like it's up to the client. Like if you value a voice and you want an artist to be able to play and have fun and like really enjoy the work, then you have to show them that you value that through your interactions with them. Because the times where I really have to like make those calculations of how much I can bring, I have to think like, do these people even value my time? Do they value my voice? Or do they kind of just want me to like push pixels around the way that they want them? Mm -hmm pushed and going back to that apple project when i look at those illustrations like there's some of like my favorite things that i ever made i'm like i got time to do it you know i was paid fairly and like the creative team really respected and honored my creative voice and a lot of people want to get that kind of work but they don't want to invest what they need to invest in the artist that's right. making it You've already done a lot of really exciting things. And when we were thinking about this conversation with you and like where we were hoping to go with it, we were kind of just like, well, what, what is it that Amika is hoping for? Or what would you say that your North Star is? To be honest, like that's something that I recently came back from a solo trip in Costa Rica that just totally like upended my consciousness and has been making me question the ways that I want to show up just like as a human being on this planet and the way that kind of like relates to my work in like a commercial space. I think for me, I honestly am mostly motivated by being able to sustain my lifestyle while like sharing my voice. Like I don't have, like I really don't have these like 
lofty dreams. Like I feel like the fact that I'm even able to do this is like a dream come true in and of itself. And like being granted this space, I think is in to exist the way that I do as the kind of person that I am is indicative of room being made for people like me in society. So I think like in a way, artists being able to survive is like the canary in the coal mine of like, is this society like at least doing a little bit of a good job? (laughs) Like, you know, can we, can we even have this around? So for me, I just want to keep telling stories. I hope that I'm able to be supported enough by my community to feel that I'm telling stories that matter to them that I can share with the public. And I think over time, my goal is to, to frankly do that in a way that's like not tied to brands, but to have cultivated like a voice that people trust enough that I am able to share it at a larger scale with frankly, more integrity. <laughs> Just to sum it up, my goal in life is to maintain as, maintain as much integrity in my art as possible and being able to share it with people and continue to raise voices of people who do deserve to be heard. Very, very like soft goals, but <laughs> who knows when I'll achieve them or, you know. No, it's, that's beautiful. I think that kind of probably answers my next question anyway. I was going to ask you, what is the future yes. for Black Power Barbie? I kind of touched on it a little bit, but I, like, I think in the past four years, like I've been sharing work for, I don't know, seven, eight years now publicly, but in the past four years, I've been able to create a life out of it and or a different life out of it I should say and for me I want to return to the kind of work that I was making at the very beginning where I used to write more I used to share more so I'd like to get back on like focusing on creating bodies of work that really reflect who I am now and the things that I've learned and I don't want to say too much about like what format I want that to be in but I'd love to just be more full force in like my personal storytelling and the stories of my community. I love that, you know, in both of the answers to our last two questions, you're keeping it. I know you're saying, oh, it's like soft goals a little (laughs) bit, but I really don't feel that way. I think it's like, it's very open and there's a lot of possibility there and it gives you a lot of freedom to express that in any way that you feel like depending on like what's happening in your life or your community or around the world. And again, it allows for some flexibility and freedom in terms of the medium you used or the outlet. And I think that that's really nice. Like it's, you know, you're still keeping that integrity that you're talking about and those values and what you motivates you, but it's not kind of keeping you in very, one very specific lane. And that's something I, I, it was a quote that I've just seen around a bunch before where like essentially Sometimes telling people exactly what you want to do before you do it gives you the same like psychological gratification of having done it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I try to just like think about like, okay, Luke, what are the core motivating factors? And like, maybe that's how I create a philosophy of life that will take me towards like my dreams and goals. But I don't want to be like, I want to do this thing and that thing and that thing. And everyone's like, yeah, it would be awesome if you did that. And I'm like, well, everyone thinks I'm awesome for having that idea. A thousand percent. <laughs> And so I don't yeah. have to do it anymore. <laughs> totally. I'm the same way. You know? It takes away that drive a little bit because it feels like you've already mm-hmm. accomplished it just it. by saying. <laughs> in, and then like the other side of that coin too is that I don't want it to turn into like an obligation. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Where it's like, oh man, like when I have to do a job, 
or when I'm on a job, I know every day I'm like, I got to put in like solid X amount of hours for it. No excuses. Like if I don't do it in the morning, I'm going to have to do it at three o'clock in the morning, (laughs) you know? But like when it comes to things that I want to do, I'm like, I need to find a way to make this feel natural and not like, man, I told those people Mm -hmm. that I was going to write a 90 minute feature. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's just like haunting yeah. me. <laughs> Is there anything that, that you'd else that you'd like to share that we didn't ask you or that you thought of while we were chatting? The only thing I was thinking about this, the last few responses, and I had posted it on my Instagram story yesterday, was that like an artist's life is one of service. So I think for me, that is kind of, I guess, like a better way, a very succinct way of saying like how I hope to approach or how I hope other people like will approach their lives, just like thinking about how they can be of service because it's nice that I get to like exist the way that I do and create and have people like you want to talk to me. And I really appreciate that so, 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 so much. (laughs) It's just like further inspiration for thinking about like how I can be of service to others through the work that I'm doing and not it just be like a creative vanity project, you know? So thank you for, for being a part of that journey. I feel a bit like I need to re-listen to the episode to properly be able to talk about it because there was just so much that we covered that it's like, you know, like what to dig into. I know. I I feel the same way when we were in our conversation with Amika. There was so many times like, oh, I want to talk about that afterwards with Jillian. Oh, I want to talk about that afterwards with Jillian. I actually wanted to talk about it right then with Amika, but we'd still be talking like at the end of the day. And again, another guest I can't wait to meet in person, whether she's ready for it or not. (laughs) Amika, we're coming for you. (laughs) I think as women, there's so much. And as creative people, there's so much to be identified with, like that's relatable about her story and her journey And also, it is still uniquely her own, and it's also extraordinary in its own right. For her, you know, even the Mm -hmm. whole idea about how she came up with the Black Power Barbie and it evolved Mm -hmm. into what it did. Mm -hmm. Well, I love this idea that she's got these different identities that she's taking on that are all her, but they don't necessarily exist at the same time all the time, or it's not always in the same, what's the word, like, same spaces, I guess, like you know, what she's talking about it, or at the beginning when she was saying Black Power Barbie in her work and social media is very different than, let's say, Amika Cooper as an individual going grocery shopping or something. She didn't use those, mm-hmm. that as an example. But I love the idea of having a space where you can be one side of yourself, but that doesn't necessarily have to be you all the time. It was really, yes, it was so informative and such great timing to hear that for me too. That idea that she said about, you know, not, I'm calling it compartmentalizing, which is not the word she used, but you know, you just, okay, this beautiful, fabulous idea I have, I don't have to give everything away. I'm going to put it over there and keep that Mm -hmm. for later. It's that balance of, as she said at the end about being of service, but then also understanding your own boundaries and remembering you have agency, you have autonomy Mm -hmm. about the choices that you make about Mm -hmm. where you put your energy. And I, it was Mm -hmm. really, really great to hear that. 
I also wanted to say, when we were talking about the Her For She campaign, and she was describing the typical production room that you're in when something, and it's, you know, when we talked about her pixie dust, and she just said kindness is important. And it's so interesting that kindness is seen as a deficit in a lot of these spaces, right? And it's very powerful. And we could see it in the result of the work. Oh, yeah. You know, how actually kindness matters and does make a difference in a space. And it's not, it's actually her, that's actually one of her many strengths. And I mean, we can see it. And Calicia, who was in the shoot, said that too. Like that was what made the experience for her. Mm -hmm. And it's what drew us to that campaign and then drew us to Calicia and also drew us to Amika. I mean, it really... Mm -hmm. Because it didn't show up, that kindness didn't just make a difference in Amika's final work. It made a difference in how Calicia was presented and presented herself. For sure. I thought it was really interesting, too, when we were prepping for this conversation with Amika. And you identified identity as being one of our, I guess, themes maybe for this conversation, potentially, depending on what came up. And that was almost from the start, right, what Amika was talking about. And I was like, wow, mom, good one. (laughs) Like, you really anticipated that a little bit. Well, thank you for saying that. I think, though, to be honest, I think it's a recurring theme for me. And so I can't help but see it in places and mm-hmm. I think she's also so like when it does reveal itself I'm I'm aha I, I recognize it right it's like a, a muscle I think identity also location and we didn't get into that and that's another conversation I'd love to have with her about you know we've had with our uh, some of our other creative guests we've talked about landscape as being important mm-hmm. and in another conversation with Amika I'd be curious to know about the Toronto and New York and you and I have crossed geographies, right? So it's, these things mm-hmm. come up because that's that's what I'm thinking about or that's in the back of my mind. I'm curious for you when she was talking about being young and being creative and then growing as an artist about how that was resonating with you. I loved the shavings story you told. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think, I don't know. Can you be more specific about your question? Well, I could relate to the storytelling part, right? I honed right in on that, but you were talking with her, able to able to speak with her about, you know, the being a creative visual artist. And I don't have that background and mm-hmm. muscle development in any way, really. So I'm just curious, you know, what that was like for you to, to, to... I mean, I could relate to spending an afternoon creating stuff, but I th- think that that's what I was pointing out in the conversation is I wasn't focusing on storytelling. Right. I was just like, oh, these are fun materials. I'm going to glue this trash onto this other piece of trash and make this thing that I like. And so what I was interested in hearing about from Mika and that is like what was driving her to tell these to tell stories and that that was the focus for her because I wasn't that's not what it was for me. The idea of being bored in an afternoon and and having to be industrious in some way and choosing mm-hmm. creativity. That was a link you mm-hmm. to the two of you definitely yeah. shared. Yeah. 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 When she talked about her future I, I also really appreciated how you were talking about like the saving the space and her being protective of that. And I think that that's a challenge for a lot of creative people, especially creative entrepreneurs who feel like I've got to get my idea out, A, so that no one else takes it. So I put a stake to claim in it, but also B, so that people know it if they want to help me, <laughs> if they want to fund that endeavor, they can, you know, and I think it's hard to have that balance. And I really appreciate how she is 
working on that, you know, of like, I want a lifestyle, I, I want to be paid for the work I do. I also want to have my own voice. All of these mm-hmm. things, you know, mm-hmm. she's at the cusp. I mean, I could really relate to at the very end what she was saying about kind of keeping things to herself until she's ready to actually work on them and rather than just talking about doing a bunch of stuff and then it not necessarily coming to fruition. And I can fully relate to that. And it's an approach that I try to take more now too. And what she was talking about at the very end of artists being of service, I think it's really grounding and humbling a little bit too of just like the work that you're creating or the space and emotion that you're evoking like it's it's for others too and it's to be shared i felt very respectful too of not only of herself but also of her audience well thank you again so much to amika cooper aka black power barbie for being here with us you can find her on instagram at black power barbie and also her website is blackpowerbarbie.com if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe, download the episode, like, and review the Soundlands podcast, and share it with someone you think would enjoy it. You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Soundlands Podcast, and for more episodes, visit soundlandspodcast.com. Bye, Mom. Bye, Jillian. <laughs>